Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Last weekend, uh, a few of us were gone in Michigan at Andrews University, a sister Adventist institution. Um, and we were doing a, a worship conference there. We had a great time, but we definitely missed all of you, especially since it snowed three different times in the four days that we were there. Um, but we got a little bit of revenge this week because now Todd is there, and we are here enjoying this even more beautiful weather than we missed last week. So we are, uh, he's presenting at a conference on millennials, how to reach us millennials. So um, I know that he did a lot of work preparing for that, and hopefully somebody will hear what he has to say. Um, but uh, we're, we're praying that that goes well uh, out there with him. Uh, but we are definitely enjoying our time here together today. It was also exciting to see my friend Scott singing in the, the uh, praise team today. We know each other from Andrews, from Michigan. Um, we used to go to church there together, and excited to hear a little bit more from him later on. We all have moments in our lives, or uh, we know about moments in history, that are these big, kind of tragic touchstones uh, that define um, a moment in time 
or even a generation. Those moments that uh, you hear about or that you have for yourself where everybody knew where they were when they heard the news about this terrible thing. For my parents' generation, that is the JFK assassination is one of those. Uh, for some others, maybe it's uh, watching the Challenger explode on TV. For a lot of us, it's 9-11, um, especially uh, here in New York. It's part of a community that was present and, and active um, in the immediate aftermath of that. Can you imagine one of those moments happening, and then the next day, or even the same day, somebody comes up to you and asks, how's it going? Oblivious to this thing that everybody else is suffering through. Last weekend, as I mentioned, we were in Andrews, they uh, did a good job of commemorating the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Um, one of the VPs there uh, has spoken here, actually, and he uh, put together several programs um, commemorating that time and what it meant to our country, to the civil rights movement. And um, so there was this one program that we went to where they had an orator that uh, delivered several of Martin Luther King's speeches and uh, some of his letters, and they played video of Walter Cronkite announcing um, to the nation um, his death and of Bobby Kennedy announcing to a room full of people the same day what had happened and their reactions. And we talked about what that, what that meant for our society. But can you imagine being someone that has marched maybe with Martin Luther King or has put hope in the future that this man and his colleagues are preaching about and striving for and working for, and then he's killed? The deflation, the amount of pain and suffering, not only that you're thinking of for his loved ones and his family, but that you're thinking of for yourself, for your people, for your future. And then someone comes up and has no idea it happened. That's what Cleopas and his friend on the way to Emmaus are experiencing in this passage. Verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now this isn't just a casual conversation about how their weeks went. This is two followers of Jesus trying to work out what it all means that this great prophet, in their words, has been assassinated. And now there's this whole thing with an empty tomb earlier that morning that they can't really figure out. So they're going on this walk together, trying to work through all of this. Then this guy comes along, has no clue what's going on. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? Now this part is, it's kind of heartbreaking if you picture yourself as the clueless one, right? It's like that time where you have inevitably asked someone how their significant other is doing the day after they broke up. Or you're talking to someone, hey, how's it going at work? And they just got fired. That's what basically is happening here with Jesus. Verse 17 is the shortest verse in this passage, and it says, this is their response to him. They stood still, looking sad. 
But one of them, whose name was Cleo, uh, verse 18, Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, or another translation would be to free Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. They can't believe that they've got to tell this guy what's going on. Now, we've been in this series these last couple weeks uh, that we've entitled For the Life of the World. Now, this isn't just some great tagline worked up by our fantastic communications team. Um, This is actually a proclamation that we're saying as a community, the story um, of Jesus dying, being raised to life, means life for the world. That's what we've said, and that's what we are proclaiming as we have gone through this story, as we've celebrated um, all these different moments. We had our Good Friday service, which was more solemn, our Sabbath morning where we took the Last Supper together, which is always a moving experience to remember and recreate those last moments Jesus had with his disciples. Then on Sunday, early in the morning, we got together and celebrated his resurrection. And then last Sabbath, we had our resurrection Sabbath, where we celebrate that as a worship community here in this space. But these guys on the road to Emmaus, they never really got to the Sunday morning part. They just heard that there was an empty tomb, and they hadn't really figured out what that meant. See, they don't have the end of the story. If the two travelers on the road to Emmaus, if if their story is complete, then it doesn't mean that much. It certainly doesn't mean life for the world if they've got the complete story. The story would not have persisted. It would not have stood the test of time the way it has. I mean, think of great stories or books or movies that have kind of transcended time and everybody knows about them. We would not if we only had a part of the story, if we didn't have the ending. If there was no Death Star explosion at the end of Star Wars, we would not be on our 10th Star Wars movie. There wouldn't be two coming out a year. Todd and I would not be arguing about what Legos to buy from the Star Wars universe for the kids, right? If, if Back to the Future, if he never got back to the future, that movie, we wouldn't have, no one would ever watch it. So the guy went back in time and, oh, he got stuck there. That's it. If Black Panther ends with Killmonger taking over Wakanda, that movie would not have grossed the billions of dollars it has with us seeing it more than once. Cleopas and his companion don't have the whole story. They're telling it without the ending. They're almost there. They know there's an empty tomb, but they haven't figured out what that meant. Verse 22. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to see the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Now, just a sidebar, it's the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? It's not, it's not that surprising that they didn't believe the women and had to go see for themselves. But that's a whole other sermon that we can have at another time. 
But here we are, thousands of years removed from this story, from these events, and we're saying that it means the life of the world, or life for the world. It's because we know the end of the story, and it's because of how we've seen and felt God move in history and in our own lives. So it might be easy to look down on these two guys walking to Emmaus. See, but we're significantly removed from that Sunday. This passage takes place on that Sunday. They are huddled in their room, not knowing what to do. Some women go to visit the tomb, to pay their respects, or to um, just pray there or be there in mourning, and they find it empty. They go check, yeah, it's empty, now what? Well, we're gonna go to Emmaus. That's where we pick up the story, this is fresh. They don't have the benefit of time and of seeing this with the eyes that we see it. So, verse 25, Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the, mass, that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? So Jesus says this awkward thing where he doesn't know what's going on. They are sad. They tell him this tragic thing that's just happened to them. And then he's like, you fools. Those are the first words out of his mouth. Now, to me, this shares a little bit about Jesus' sense of humor. I think he's got some good comedic timing in this passage. This is just the first example I just see these dejected men walking together. Yeah, our only hope just died. We don't know what to do. How do you not know that this happened? And then Jesus says, you fools, why, why did you not see this coming? This is what's supposed to happen. I guess I'll have to interpret all of Scripture for you now. Jesus also not only does he just tell them this kind of uh, roughly? But this also betrays a little bit about how powerful this news that he's bringing to them is. See, he knows they shouldn't have any reason to be upset. They shouldn't have any reason to be down and dejected and sad and lost. So he kind of doesn't have time for their feelings when they give him this story and how it's affecting them because he knows the end. He knows the good news. So he's kind of just like, get over it. When we get to the end, I think you're going to like what I have to say. So Jesus, he's excited about what's happened, and he can't wait to reveal himself to them and tell them the good news. Jesus is kind of the person that you can't tell about the surprise party because they'll just get too excited and tell the person. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I have been in that situation. Someone's kind of down. It's like, oh, I can't believe no one did anything for my birthday. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a bummer. You should wait, wait for tonight. What's happening tonight? Uh, nothing, no, no. Yeah, be sad, yeah, it's sad, yeah. That's kind of Jesus. He's like, there's this great thing I want to tell you, um, but you, you don't really get it yet. My girlfriend does this sometimes. She uh, has this, this thing where she'll want to surprise me with a gift or with something like tickets to a show or something. And, um, and, and then I'll just get a text out of the blue like, hey, 
mark your calendar for this date. We're going to this show. I was like, oh, cool, awesome. She's like, yeah, I wanted to make it a surprise, but I just got too excited about it. That's, that's Jesus here. Guys, it's me. I mean, you don't know it's me yet, but I'm alive. So don't worry. He's even kind of frustrated with them that they don't get it, that he's got to explain it. I mean, the women told them that he was gone from the tomb and that they had seen a vision that he was raised. The men went and verified that claim. And then he doesn't, they still don't get it. So Jesus says, let me interpret all of Scripture in the five and a half, six miles we have left to get to Emmaus. I'll interpret all of it. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. He's saying to them, this is good news. Verse 28, as they came near to the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. Once again, pretty good comedic timing. Like, they're getting to where they're going. Jesus knows that like, he's still gotta end this, like reveal himself and whatever. But he's like, all right, we're here to Emmaus. I'll see you guys later. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus, you should stay. He's like, oh, if you insist. And he goes and has dinner with them. Verse, um, verse 29, they urge him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening. The day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished from sight. Third evidence of good comedy. The second that, he, that they know what's going on, they, they've heard him like, uh, divulge scripture to them, they've talked about this for miles, they've, they're eating together, and then all of a sudden, it's Jesus, and he's gone. I love that. But then the question arises, why couldn't they see him? What what changed for them to be able to see him? We were talking about this a little bit um, after first service, some of us, and I think it depends on a few things. One, it could just be uh, your interpretation of Scripture. So one reading of this passage could say that, well, it's not that, they, um, it's not that he was actually hidden from them, it's that they didn't recognize him, and that's the author trying to say maybe that's the reason they didn't recognize him is that it was hidden. Or you could take the text um, at its word, at its face value, and it means that for some reason, God hid Jesus from them, even though he was right there. Now, why would he do that? I would like to propose that the reason he did that is because it's the same as with um, Simon or, or Thomas versus the other disciples. Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Because if they're these, if they're these sad guys mourning Jesus as they're walking, and Jesus shows up, they don't need to know the story. They don't need to get from point A to point B themselves. Jesus is there. But instead, he decides, no, I want to tell them why I'm here, not just prove to them that I am. And so he, he divulges and reveals um, the interpretation of the Scripture to them. He breaks bread with them, and then he's revealed after they've got it. And now, this is where I think uh, I would have reacted just like Cleopas and his friend. He's revealed to them, and then they say, ah, I, I knew I knew him from somewhere. I knew it all along. 
Yeah, there was something about that guy. Verse 32, they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? They do the nice revisionist history, saying, yeah, yeah, we, we knew it was Jesus. We knew. He didn't have to reveal it. We knew it was you. They immediately rush back to Jerusalem. They spent this day, it's now night, so they've spent most of the day walking to this town. They get there, they eat, and then they rush seven miles back to Jerusalem. That same hour, verse 33, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. We talked about those tragic moments that we remember or that our culture or society remembers. But what about those exciting ones? What about those, those moments in your life, maybe personally or, or as a community, that changed everything? You remember where you were when you heard that you got into that program you were really wanting to get into, or you got that job you really wanted to get, or you met that person and fell in love with them. Those are those, those life-changing moments, those positive times that we all remember and can't forget. Jesus has taken this tragic life-defining moment and changed it into this beautiful life-defining moment. I remember for my generation, for a lot of people, um, it was when Barack Obama first got elected. Now, I was in California at the time, and so there were those of us there that were watching it on TV, and, and I remember it vividly, but I remember feeling really homesick for DC where all my friends were sending me videos of people literally dancing in the streets. That's what this story has become for these people, dancing in the streets, run back to Jerusalem to spread the news. Immediately after these people, these disciples and the apostles hear this good news that he is risen, they go and they spread that word. Now, we spent the last couple months in our facts series, if you've been, um, if you've been here for that, just talking about the book of Acts and the early church, that whole thing is a result of these moments. These men that were devastated, that were confused, that didn't know what to do, Jesus is revealed to them. He shows that he is alive, and the only thing they can think to do is go and tell everybody possible. Now, this story because of these um, people that saw Jesus and heard it, it's been passed down for hundreds of years. Now, despite the different fights and misinterpretations and hypocrisy and misuse, the story is still powerful. The claim of life for the world is still a bold one. So powerful and so bold that the story persisted. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth as a human. He taught us how we should live. He lived through every trial placed before him. He died while forgiving those who killed him. He was raised to life on the third day, defeating death. He gave us the life that we could not give ourselves. He gives the world life. Now, as we walk along the path of life, Let's learn from our brothers here on the path to Emmaus. Yes, 
There have been times and there will be more times of sadness and tragedy. But Jesus is there, walking next to us, unseen, urging us to remember the end of the story. He rose from the dead, defeating death, giving all of us life. May we as a church, as a community, as a city, as a world, as all of God's children, experience that life more abundantly. Amen.